guys. So glad to be with you. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Mike Zins. I'm here with my lovely wife and our three kids. One of them may have been one of the ones streaking in the back, but um, we have been going to Missio Day Mesa here for a little bit. Um, I am a co-leader of an MC, and I love MC life. I don't know about you guys who are part of MC. Uh, love just being on mission with other people, living life alongside people in community. And if I'm honest, one thing that I really love about MC life is the food, right? A lot of life happens around a shared table. Um, food is a love language uh, of mine. That's one of the six love languages, right? I'm pretty sure. Okay. That's definitely my love language. Um, so I love it. Um, and we're going to be talking about some epic meals tonight uh, in, in the passage that we're going to be going through. And in preparing for this, I actually started getting hungry. And I was trying to think, what are some epic meals that I have had? And so one particular one stood out to me. Uh, my wife and I lived in Thailand for a little bit. And so we got to eat a lot of really good food there. Uh, and also a lot of really interesting food. And one meal in particular was called Kung Ten. And it stands for dancing shrimp. And I feel like words wouldn't be able to describe it. So I have a gift for you guys today. But we're actually going to have a little video uh, where you can see Kung Ten. So that's good. Thank you. So that's probably one of the first times I actually had my dinner jump out at me and almost hit my plate. Um, and here, to be honest, I don't remember if it was good or not. But when I look at this video, it actually brings back fond memories for me. And it's because it's not about the food, but it's actually about what was represented there. We were having a meal with some people that we were building relationships with, that we ended up doing some incredible work. And it reminds me of just some incredible things that God did in our time there. And so here's why I think this matters, is I think food isn't something that just fills our bellies, but it actually be something that anchors our souls to something so much bigger and so much deeper. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about a meal that people shared together, but the meal itself isn't the actual focus, but it's actually what the meal represented. And what it represents is an actual anchor for these people's souls. And as a result, this meal that we're going to talk about has actually been shared for thousands of years. Now, before we get to our story, the story that we're in, I want to set up the context and kind of remember where we've come from. God created the world, right? And he created everything good. He created mankind in his image, and he gave mankind dominion over creation and wanted mankind to help cultivate that creation. But one day, mankind decided to rebel against God and reject what he said and take on for themselves what they thought was good and right. As a result, sin and death entered into the world. But God did not leave mankind in that sin and death and rebellion. He promised a man named Abraham in Genesis 12, right, that one day I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to others. That one day all nations on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham has kids, 
and grandkids and great-grandkids. And long story short, some of his great-grandkids end up moving to a place called Egypt because there was a famine there. And one of Abraham's great-grandkids who was in power there ended up passing away. And so now the new people in power in this place called Egypt, a man named, or his title was Pharaoh, saw the Israelites because they were growing in number and God had blessed them and they were multiplying. And so Pharaoh saw these people actually as a threat. And so he decided to oppress the Israelite people and enslave them. And not only that, but as the Israelites continued to grow and continued to multiply, he then decides to commit genocide against these people where their baby boys born were killed. God then called a man named Moses that he said, Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And so he sent Moses to go and talk to Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh to let his people go. And he did that by sending one plague after another. God sent five plagues initially, all which Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, no, I'm not going to let your people go. And so then God decides to use Pharaoh's heart for his purposes. And to us, it may seem weird. Some of the plagues was like turning water to blood, and it was frogs, and it was stuff like uh, blotting out the sun, darkness for several days, right? And each plague was actually aimed at defeating an Egyptian god to show God's power and his might. Because yes, there was actually a frog god, so parents, you think your kids are into some weird stuff? Lisa is hopefully not a frog god. Uh, Ra, the sun god, this was one of the most worshipped gods in Egypt. God wanted to show that he even controlled the sun, and they lived in darkness for several days. And this was to not only mess with them spiritually, but then also psychologically. And then Pharaoh himself was seen as a firstborn image of the gods, a mediator between the people and the Egyptian gods. So this was like a super Smash Brother showdown between the God of Israel and the gods of Egypt. And so far, the God of Israel was whooping on him. So God delivers nine plagues in total, but Pharaoh's heart continues to remain hard against him. Interesting side note, as I was even reading through this and thinking about this, is I wonder what plagues would look like for us today if God delivered plagues against some of our gods or things that we hold up. Like maybe you go to turn on Netflix and the Bible Project just keeps coming on. Uh, maybe you go to put some in the microwave and instead of it taking two minutes, it ends up taking two hours. I don't know. But guys, this is an epic story that we're going to read that's literally referenced throughout Scripture over and over and over again. This is the defining event in the Old Testament that is referenced. And this isn't just a reminder about their history, but it's actually a reminder about who God himself is. So if you're a movie buff and you love Gladiator, Star Wars, Braveheart, Avengers, I would rank the Passover and the Exodus right up above there. All right, I'm going to read... The story, this is coming out of the message version. It's Exodus 11 and 12, if you guys want to track in your Bibles. Uh, I'm not reading through the entire two chapters. This is actually just taking different snippets of the story. God said to Moses, I'm going to hit Pharaoh in Egypt one final time, and then he'll let you go. Then Moses spoke to Pharaoh, God's message. At midnight, I will go through Egypt, and every firstborn child in Egypt will die, also the firstborn of animals. Then all these servants of yours will beg me to leave. Leave. 
you and all the people who follow you, and I will most certainly leave. God said to Moses and Aaron, tell all the people of Israel that each man is to take a lamb for his family. Your lamb must be a healthy male, one year old. Then kill it and take some of the blood and smear it on the two doorposts and the frame above the door of the houses in which you will eat. You are to eat the meat roasted in the fire along with bread made without yeast and bitter herbs. Eat in a hurry. It's the Passover to God. I will go through the land of Egypt on this night and strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt. I am God. The blood will serve as a sign on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This will be a day to remember. You will celebrate it as a festival to God down through the generations. This marks the exact day I brought you in force from the land of Egypt. Moses assembled all the leaders of Israel. He said, select a lamb for your families and kill the Passover lamb. Smear the blood on the frame and on the two doorposts. No one is to leave the house until morning. God will pass through to strike Egypt down. When he sees the blood on the frame and the two doorposts, God will pass over the doorway. And when you enter the land, which God will give you as he promised, keep doing this. And when your children say to you, why are we doing this? Tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to God who passed over the homes of the Israelites in Egypt when he hit Egypt with death, but rescued us. The people bowed down and worshiped. Okay. There's a lot there, but first I want to go through kind of four things that I think this story tells us about God. And the first thing is God is faithful and cares for his people. Genesis 12, two to three, right? God is talking to Abraham, his promise. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then jumping ahead to Exodus 2, 23 to 25. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about him. Guys, God had seen the suffering of his people He remembered his covenant with them and he was not going to leave them there. He was going to rescue them. When my kids are crying and they come crying and they get hurt, I don't say, oh, too bad for you. No, what do we do? We lean in, right? Because we care about our kids. We love our kids. I think every parent maybe knows that feeling when your little kid goes to the playground and for the first time, a big bully comes and either grabs something from them or pushes them down. Dude, I got anger in me, right? Like I'm about to be the bully now. What am I doing? So we care for our kids. Guys, God cared for Israel. Now, the Israelites had lived in Egypt for over 400 years at this point. And I'm not even going to pretend to understand the timing of it. And I know sometimes we may feel like God has forgotten us, that he's forgotten you and you're hurt. But please know this and be reminded that God is faithful. His plans remain and we matter to him. And he has the overall big picture in mind. Second thing I think this tells us about God is God is just and opposes evil. Okay, I want you to think of maybe what your ultimate picture of evil looks like. Uh, If you're a younger kid, this could be like Cruella DeVille. I remember her being pretty bad. Uh, Maybe a little bit older, older, Thanos from Avengers, anybody? Um, Or if you're a little bit more spiritually mature, you might think the Lakers or Seahawks. 
Whatever you think it is, that is Pharaoh in the story, okay? He is the epitome of evil. Egypt and Pharaoh is exactly what happens when a man and a nation begin to redefine for themselves what is good and what is bad apart from God's wisdom. Guys, sin is a nasty thing. And we see in the story that sin doesn't just impact us, but it actually impacts those around us. It impacts the people in our care. And Israel was a people that had been viciously oppressed and impacted in every facet possible. They had been impacted economically, socially, spiritually, politically, physically, emotionally. Exodus 6, 6 through 7 Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Catch the tone of these verses. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you with mighty acts. I will take you. Guys, in this culture back in ancient Near East, there were two ways to get back enslaved firstborn children. One was through payment and one was through power. And in this way, God is saying under no uncertain terms, I'm going to powerfully take my firstborn back, Israel, so they can worship me. Christopher Wright and Mission of God says, God makes it clear that his purpose in the whole process is there should lead to the knowledge, service, and worship of the living God. All three were difficult, if not impossible, as long as they were in the depths of bondage to Pharaoh. Yahweh is not merely intent on liberating slaves, but on reclaiming worshipers. I'll be honest, some of the details in this story are tough and I wrestled with it and I'm still wrestling with it. But let me highlight something, guys. God opposes evil both for the good of his creation and for his glory. So when God brings our false idols down, this is actually a missional act of love because he actually wants what's best for us, because he cares for us. His opposition to evil is actually an act of rescue and of him being faithful. And yet, in his judgment against Pharaoh and the Egyptians, even as evil as they were, God still provided a way out. He still gave an opportunity for repentance, even as evil as they were. And so, I think the third thing that this tells us is God is merciful. So, does God oppose evil? Yes, absolutely. We've seen that, right? But is God also merciful? And does he provide a way of escape? Yes, absolutely. Multiple times giving them opportunities to to release the Israelites and to anyone who listened to him in the Passover and put the blood on the doorpost would be spared. Now let's look at Israelites' response. What was their response to the plan laid before them? Exodus 12, 26 through 27. What does this ceremony mean to you? It's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. They knew that they were being saved from mighty acts of judgment. And their response was to bow down, to worship and do what the Lord commanded. Faithfulness and obedience is a mark for trust. 
many of you probably go to work. Uh, when you guys go to work, you go to a day to work, are you holding out your hand expecting to get paid at the end of the day? No. When do you receive your money? Probably every two weeks or on the 1st and the 15th, right? Aren't you scared you're not going to get paid? No, because you've gotten paid enough times every 1st and 15th or every two weeks that you have trust in the system, right? If I work, if I do my role and do what I say, I'm going to get paid, right? Your actions are a reflection of the trust that you have, right? And in the same way, Israel's actions reflected their trust in God. And that trust leads to obedience. God literally gave Pharaoh chance after chance after chance after chance after chance to turn from his evil ways and let his people go. And after Pharaoh refused, God provides a way out for Israel. But they still needed to humble themselves enough to trust what he said and to follow him, right? By putting the blood on the house as a sign. Their obedience demonstrated that they put their trust in God. And as a result, he was merciful to them. The fourth point is God is mighty and rescued Israel for a purpose. Check out God's might in this. Uh, Exodus 12, 31 through 32. So this is right after the Passover occurs. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds as you've said and go. Oh, and also bless me. Walter Brugman says this, Pharaoh asked Moses and Aaron to bless me also. The role reversal was complete. It was Pharaoh before who carried the power of blessing, the capacity to bestow life and well-being. The blessing, however, is now not where it appeared to be, but it's carried by this band of slaves who seem to possess nothing. We watch power come to this powerless people, all due to the mighty acts of a faithful God. Guys, this story was a massive upset. I don't know if any of you follow March Madness. It's one of my favorite times of the year, but this is bigger than the lowly 16 seed playing a one seed who's one of the top four teams in the country, right? If you're a Disney fan, it's bigger than Moana taking on Taka, right? The lava monster at the end. This is way bigger. This upset and power shift, though, doesn't show anything about the Israelites and how powerful they were, but it showed the incredible might of God. And guys, he rescued them for a purpose. Um, Nicole and I, we lived in Thailand for a little bit, and we worked with a local organization out there that worked to prevent, protect, and restore child victims of human trafficking and abuse. And so we worked with local law enforcement and we literally worked to try to bring these kids out of modern day slavery. And when we would bring them out, we'd work really hard and spend hours and nights and we'd bring them out. Do you think we'd be like, oh, awesome. We're so glad you're free. Have a good life. No, there was a lot of restoration needed when they came out of their situations. In fact, the hard work was just about to begin. And what was needed was they needed relationship. They needed people to draw near and care. They needed family. They needed friends. They needed teachers. They needed social workers. They needed generous bosses to help them on their journey of restoration. They needed healing in their identity. Guys, God didn't just rescue his people from something. He rescued them for something. He didn't just bring them out and say, all right, Israel, sweet, you're free. Go do what you want. 
No, God drew nearer to them. Later on in Exodus, we see that he dwells among his people. They were meant to represent God. They were meant to represent his ways of love and justice and be a people that worshiped God alone. So guys, God also redeems people so they can be a part of what he's doing. Not so they can be saviors. They're not the saviors. But so they can be participants in his purposes of redeeming and restoring creation unto himself. Just as he promised Abraham, God was going to use them as a mean to bless all the nations. So we've covered the four, four points so far about God, right? What the story tells us. What I want you guys to do now is if you can just turn to each other for a couple minutes and we'll chat which of these is good news to you tonight. God is faithful. He cares for his people. God is just, opposes evil. God is merciful. And God is mighty and rescues his people for a purpose. So these three elements and sometimes some more have literally been practiced every year for thousands of years. Um, And this was not just a meal, though, that looked back, but it was also forward-facing. And it's to remind these people that, yes, they were once rescued from enslavement in Egypt, but it was also a reminder and gave them hope that God was once again going to deliver them from evil and from sin once and for all. And so from the first Passover, we fast forward about 1,500 years where a man sits around a table with some of his closest followers celebrating this Passover meal. Except this one looked a little bit different. Because one, this wasn't just any man, but he was the son of God. This was Jesus. And he transformed these elements to not only just talking about the Passover, but he was actually transforming the elements and talking about his upcoming death. It was forward-facing. Another firstborn whose death would ultimately demonstrate God's power over sin and death and evil. John the baptizer called Jesus the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Through his perfect life, he was the spotless lamb that would sacrifice himself. And by his death and blood, our faithful and merciful God would once again provide a way out from his people, from the bonds of slavery and death. And then through his resurrection, he demonstrated his ultimate power over sin and death. Guys, this is no longer just talking about ancient Israel and Egypt and the Passover that occurred then. It's talking about us here and now, right? How we have all been enslaved by dark forces of evil, of sin, of selfishness, of bitterness, of greed, of anger, and how we've all rebelled and given into temptation that we're God and that we can choose what's right and wrong for ourselves instead of listening to God. But guys, we also can't miss this because when we take what we see in the first Passover and then we see it through the lens of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we actually see God's character so much more clear and vivid. It's like going from black and white fuzzy TV to now a 4K HD experience. That's what Jesus's life, death, and resurrection shows. And so we're going to go back to four more points, but specifically, what does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus show us. It shows us that God is faithful and he cares for his people. You may feel forgotten in your hurt. You may feel alone in your pain, but I have good news for you guys. God cares for you. 
He cares just like he showed Israel in the Passover, right? He showed us through Jesus. And his spirit is even present with us today as our comforter. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act. He cares about you today in your mess, even in the midst of your sin. He cares about that person that's still physically enslaved and trapped in a slave labor factory right now. He cares about the person who's looking for their next meal. He cares about the person who's even trapped in their consumerism and just wanting to continue to buy stuff, thinking that the next thing's going to make them happy. He cares about the person who continues to scroll through different web pages, thinking they're going to have some sort of satisfaction by what they see. Guys, wherever you are, wherever people that you know, he cares for you, all of your being. And here's a little spoiler alert for the church is we are one way that he shows that he cares. He wants to use us to show that he cares. Secondly, I think the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus shows that God is just and opposes evil. You may feel angered by injustices and the effects of sin and evil. I know I do. And whether it's something that's happened to you, whether it's something that's happened to someone you know, or maybe it's something that you are wrestling even with yourself right now. We know that sin and evil does inflict harm upon creation. But I have good news, guys. You're not alone. These are things that God cares about, and he opposes injustices and evil. He sees the destruction that it brings. And not only does he oppose it, but he's overcome it with his power, just like he overcame Pharaoh and all those little Egyptian gods that they served. Guys, God opposed evil so much that he was willing to send his son to give his life so that sin and darkness would lose its power once and for all. He opposes evil so much that he gives us his spirit that convicts us of sin and empowers us to live victoriously over it. I'm not saying we're perfect but he gives us power to conquer it. Guys, we may not have weird false gods like frogs and worship rivers, but we all have false idols and things that we put our trust in above God himself. It might be bank accounts. It might be relationships. It might be our work. It might be things that we even do for people. It might be things that we do for the church, that we put our trust and hope and receive value from these things rather than God himself. But know this, false gods never fail to fail. And whether it's a subtle, gentle corralling, or maybe sometimes we need the rug kind of taken out from under us a little bit, know this, God opposes evil both for the good of his creation and for his glory. So the humbling reality is that I have sinned, that we have all sinned and we have evil in us. And God is mighty and he opposes evil, right? But good news. Number three, God is merciful and provides a way out. And so in another act of judgment, the same way that God delivered judgment to Pharaoh and Egypt with his mighty outstretched arms, judgment against evil is once again delivered. But this time it was arms that were stretched out upon a cross. Sin had lost its power, but it came at the cost of the spotless lamb of God, the one who knew no sin and the only one that could take on the sins of the world. So you may feel trapped, you may feel hopeless, either by someone else's situation or maybe even your own. But I have good news, guys, that even in our sinful and evil behavior, God is merciful. 
And he has provided us a way out. And he's even more merciful because he uses his spirit in our lives to help make us aware of our need for his mercy. Colossians 1, 19 through 22 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. We cannot save ourselves. It's when we think that we can, that we actually get ourselves in trouble. Like, I don't need to put blood on the doorpost. I'm good. I can do this myself. But when we choose Israel's posture and this story of humbling ourselves before God and trusting the way out that he's provided. And guys, if you haven't made that decision yet, you can do that today. If you're wondering what it looks like, I highly recommend talking to someone in this room. It's a big deal and his mercy and his salvation are a gift. But just like Israel, we have to choose to trust. We have to choose to humble ourselves. And I hope that leads to worship and obedience. And then number four, God is mighty and he has rescued us for a purpose. So you may acknowledge that, yes, Jesus has rescued me, but I feel like I don't have purpose. I have good news for you. Just because you were the one being rescued doesn't mean you don't have a purpose. After Jesus's resurrection, he ascends to heaven and he doesn't merely just leave us, right? And say, all right, huddle up in the corner and wait for me. He hasn't just rescued us from something, but he's rescued us for something. He even sends us his very spirit to empower us in the work that he invites us into. And just like Israel, we're given a choice, right? Are we going to trust God? And will that trust then be marked by obedience and faithfulness? Or are we going to choose to be enslaved by anger and our bitterness and our greed and our selfishness and like Pharaoh, maybe think that we even know better than God himself? God wants to start the work of rescuing and redeeming in our lives here and now. He wants to do it in our homes, in our communities, and in our world. But first, it starts in all of our hearts. And if you've been rescued from something, if you have tasted enslavement and bitterness and anger, and then you have been rescued and taste joy and freedom and peace, doesn't that make you want to announce it? Doesn't that make you want to tell everybody? Guys, he invites us to be participants in his mission to redeem and restore the world. And, and what does this look like? What does embodying this news look like? It could look like caring for the vulnerable. It could look like feeding the hungry. It could look like telling your neighbor the difference that Jesus made in your life when you were super stressed financially, but trusted him with it. It might look like showing up to your job and seeing it as a way to love people and do what's right for them and not necessarily just try to get as much money out of it as possible. Forgiveness, choosing love, loving others because he first loved us. So as a rescued people who have put our trust in him, he now invites us to join him in on this holistic mission of rescue. So why does this matter? Why do these meals matter? I hope that we can look at these meals 
and we can, they remind us to look back on our faithful God and that we can anchor our souls in who God is and what he's done and trust him. And then may we be driven by love to faithfully play our role in his story. Let's pray. God, I am so uh, odd and humbled and, yeah, just amazed at you, God. And God, I don't pretend to know everything or know why you do what you do, God. But God, I thank you for this model of redemption and rescue that you've showed us time and time again. God, that you have showed us that you are a God who is faithful to his promises, that you are a God who cares. God, that you do oppose harm and evil in the world. And God, that you are still merciful, even though we have evil in us, God, and you've provided a way out. And God, I just thank you that you have also not just rescued us from something, but for something, God. You give us purpose. You invite us to play into this story with you. God, I pray that we would be humbled by this, God. And God, that that would lead to obedience because of our trust for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, We're going to come to the table and we come uh, in the middle of the story. Drop me out, man. Uh, When we come into the story that we don't take of that first Passover meal, but we come in with the meal that Jesus gave us. And so when we see how faithful God is and we see that he cares for us, may that drive us to trust him and give us hope. When we see that God is a God who opposes evil, may that compel us to repentance and humility before him. As we come to the table, when we see that God is a merciful God, that our sin has not prompted judgment on us, but on Jesus, and he's shown us mercy, may that drive us to worship. And when we see that God is a rescuer who gives us purpose, may that drive us to obedience, to see that we are rescued people, no longer enslaved to the spiritual forces of evil, but as children who are invited to his table to participate on his mission of rescue and redemption that extends to all creation. And so fam, over this next song, it's a very appropriate song. You'll catch it when it starts playing. But may this meal serve as a strong reminder, as an anchor to our souls about the love and mercy of our Father, the mighty creator of heaven and earth who cares enough for you to come down in flesh, to rescue us in our sin. He's just and opposes evil and idolatry that inflicts and afflicts our world today. And he's merciful enough to provide a way out. This meal is that reminder that we are spared because of Jesus and his sacrifice for our sake. He gave up his life so that we may live. May we eat the bread that's on either side and drink of the juice in remembrance of him. I welcome you to the table as we sing this last song together.